all the churches and fellowships I've been in, and I've been in a few, I think this has the most gracious and caring and loving group of people that I've been with. And that's saying something. Uh, but this church is very special. You, some of you probably don't know just how special it is to have a church of people who care for one another and who uplift one another and pray for one another. And uh, tragedy isn't something that has escaped our church. We've had several people who have gone home to be with the Lord. We have several people in serious health conditions. We've had people that are going through all kinds of stress in their home life. There's all kinds of different things that are happening. But the love of God somehow is able to transcend all that and bring a peace that nobody can really understand how you can have peace. Like the writer of It Is Well With My Soul, H.G. Spafford, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And when sorrows like the sea billows roll, his daughters, four of them, were washed overboard from a ship that ran into their vessel and they drowned in the ocean. And he wrote on the back of an envelope those words, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Now how can you have that kind of understanding in the turmoil of losing your daughters? That's the, uh, from what I understand, I've never lost a child. Well, we did have a miscarriage, or I didn't have a miscarriage, but niece had a miscarriage, but we never lost a, uh, a child that was living. But from what I understand, that's the most horrendous thing there is, to have a child of yours die, and to have all four of his daughters die at the same time had to be a tragic, tragic loss. So I've, through the years, having done memorial services, I won't say how many because I don't know, but a lot, have tried to figure out ways in which the Bible speaks to us in a way that's healthy and positive and uh, strong in, in its ability to bring peace to our hearts and souls. And the passage that seems to fit it the best for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And by the way, right now in our country, there is a revival going among kids. Amen. It's quite amazing and it kind of started in Asbury College uh, and uh, has moved out from there. But college kids are turning to the Lord. They had over three weeks of 24-hour services where people, they would go to class, 
and then come back because they wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. And they were worshiping, and hundreds have been saved. And people from all over the country have been going to this small little town, and the Spirit of God is moving. And it's not by accident, in my opinion, that the film, Jesus Revolution, has just come out about the Jesus People revival movement that took place in the 60s, because that was the last time that something like that happened at Asbury College University, is when the Jesus People movement was moving and young people were coming to Christ all over the place. And so it is exciting. We're living in very, very exciting times. But part of the things that we don't even think about is that when you come to Jesus Christ, he makes your life brand new. And he erases the past. And you start afresh. But he, he gives this promise. You shall have everlasting life. And the life at the end is greater than the life at the beginning. When you come to be able to finally get to your final home in heaven, it says that we can't describe it. I hasn't seen it, nor has anybody heard, nor has it even entered the mind of man or woman. How great a place God has prepared for those who love him. So heaven's such a fantastic place, it can't even be described. Now, there are glimpses of it. You know, The streets are paved with gold. That's kind of cool. It's like that guy who, who died. He said, I want to take all my wealth with me, put it in gold, and put it in my casket. And when he got to heaven, Peter says, uh, what would you bring pavement for? <laughs> but gold streets... Gorgeous, 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 unbelievable beauty of these jewels that are up in heaven that are translucent. Very, we don't have any way to describe it. But the, but the light of God shines through them, refracting the light of, of God. It's, it's an unbelievable place. It's a place you'd like to go. You know, I'd like to go sooner myself. <laughs> Because it's a, it's a wonderful place. And also Paul, I think he said it best. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is even better. And if I go to be with the Lord, good for me, but not so good for you. For that reason, I'll stay as long as God wants me here. And uh, that's kind of where, where I am. But in Samuel, we have the story of David. David sinned against the Lord, lusted after another man's wife, had him sent to the front lines, and he was killed. He knew he'd be killed because they, they said, put him out there in front and then the rest of you retreat, and that was the end of him. And then he married his wife and had a child with him. And God judged him. Nathan came and told a story to him, and he said, that person should die. And Nathan says, that person is you. He'd sin before the Lord. And so 
his son from that union got sick and was ready to die. We pick it up in 2 Samuel 12. Turn to verse 15. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went and laid all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm to himself. When David saw his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he had requested that they set food before him, he ate. Then the servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And here you have a picture of a guy who was grieving while the child was sick. While the child was still on earth and there might be a possibility of healing. But after the child had gone on to be with the Lord, David actually celebrated because now his child was in the hands of the Lord. And there's a difference between those who have this hope in the Lord, because I know, for instance, my father, there's no question of where he is right now. And his health was declining very rapidly. And he was released, and he, he went into sleep. The Lord was gracious to him. And he went to be with the Lord in his sleep. But when he did... I actually, actually celebrated for him. You see, he had been released from this body of death. He was in pain and misery. I guess maybe because I'm his son. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But he was released from all that, and now he's in the presence of the Lord with a new body, and in the presence of the Lord, rejoicing. Yes. He couldn't sing. My poor dad could. Most of the rest of the family can sing quite well. But he couldn't sing. He always wanted to sing. If you sat next to him in church, you would hear him. 
but it wasn't tones that you would appreciate. <laughs> but it's, he'd always say, the scripture says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah. And that's what he did. <laughs> we were in a school play called uh, Oklahoma Musical. And there's a song in there called Poor Jed is Dead. Poor Jed is dead. A candle lights his head. So my dad, he would try to sing that. So I go, poor Jed dead. <laughs> that was it. I mean, that was not even close to what it sounded like. But he, bless his heart, he always wanted to sing the hymns. You know why? Because he wanted to rejoice to the Lord. And here's the thing. God has a different ear than we have. And for each one of us, he has his own tuning for us. So it doesn't matter if you sit, well, it matters if you sing off key up here, because that can throw the rest of us off. That's why they won't let me up here. But it doesn't matter if you're singing off key, because what the Lord hears is the rejoicing from your heart. And that's, what's the, that's the key to the whole thing. So I know he's in heaven, I know he's rejoicing, I know he's singing, and he never danced. Poor guy, had two left feet. But it probably is dancing in heaven. You know, rejoicing and dancing and having a great old time. Jesus says in John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. You who believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, it's tradition of the Jewish tradition of wedding was the parents chose your spouse. And we, we kind of shun against that, but we haven't done very good at choosing for ourselves. You know, if you look at the divorce rate, uh, self-choosing hasn't always worked out too well. But that, when they were chosen, it wasn't a, a, a question of should I or shouldn't I? It was what was. That just was the way it was. So when they became betrothed, the bride would go back to her residence. She'd gather her uh, ladies to be with her. And uh, they would have oil in their lamp because they never knew when the groom was going to come for the bride. They never knew. The only one who knew was the father of the groom. The father of the groom, after the son, he got, he got engaged. And then it was a patriarchal society. That means the father has extra influence. And so they would build right onto the house another room for the bride. The, the groom would build a house right onto the house of his father, another room for them to dwell. So when it talks about 
I, I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking about the wedding of his bride, and he's preparing a place for her. And when, it, when the time comes, he'll come and get her. And they never know when that's going to be. So they better have oil in their lamps. There's lots of different stories in the Bible having to do with that. But we are going to go to a place that's prepared for us. Peter says, to inheritance reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Your inheritance is a place in heaven if indeed you belong to Jesus Christ. A fantastic place. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We leave these bodies of death and immediately are in the presence of the Lord. There's no waiting, there's no purgatory. That was a fundraiser. <laughs> it truly was, but the Catholic Church needed money. So that what they said was, when you die, you go to this place called purgatory. And then you pay to have people pray you out. The story told of a lady whose husband died, and she went to the priest and he said, well, it's going to be $20,000, and I will pray him out. So she paid the $20,000, and they prayed, and she, said, hey, she came back, said, is he taken care of? She said, well, we prayed all but one leg out. And she said, that's okay, he had a wooden leg anyway, so we'll just leave it. But there's no purgatory. There's no waiting. It's instantaneous. The, the moment my father took his last breath, he was in the presence of Jesus. And sometimes the stories are told, where they, they are seeing Jesus before they take their last breath. A smile comes to the face and the body relaxes and they go home to be with the Lord. That's a tremendous thing. You see, we're, we're supposed to rejoice. When a believer gets to go home, the final destination, we're supposed to rejoice with them. Now, we may suffer loss. We may suffer them not being in here more, anymore. But that's, that's on us. But if we really love the person, we should be excited that they're in heaven. This place isn't very nice anymore. Have you noticed that? It's even worse as we see the day approaching. And the day is approaching very rapidly. Do you know how many <coughs> natural disasters have happened? You know earthquakes? I have an app on my phone. <coughs> I have it set for anything over six point. That's a major earthquake. It goes off several times a day. Some days. And they're in various places all over the world. And you know they just had a major earthquake that was eight something. And floods, disasters, and famines... This world is not very cool. And how many murders are there? You look at the statistics, and they're rising, and they're rising. It's getting worse and worse and violent. People are angry with each other. Now, 
if you're driving on the freeway, they don't just honk at you. They shoot at you. It's gotten really bad. Who wants to be here? Take me home. I'd much rather be in the presence of the Lord. So instead of grieving, we rejoice. Now, after 73 years, almost 74 years of having a father here, I'm going to miss him. But when I think of where he is and where I'd like to be, and I know I'm closer to that now than I was before. <laughs> uh, he lived to be long, so I think that I'll see him sooner than later. But the reality is I rejoice because here's the other thing. When somebody's lived their life for the Lord, which he did, he accepted the Lord when he was probably in, uh, somewhere in his teens and uh, served the Lord. And he taught Bible studies and he taught what they used to call Sunday school. On Sunday mornings, he used to have uh, Bible studies that were led just like they do for kids, but it was for adults. He taught that faithfully year after year after year after year and affected people's lives. And so when you come to the memorial service and people are standing at the mic and they're saying, this is my reflection of this gentle, kind person who loved the Lord. I was in his Bible study group for 45 years. 45 years. And, you, and they're reflecting on the power of God in a person's life. That's what I'm hoping for. I, I don't want people to say, oh, he was a funny guy. But you can say that, but don't just stop there. <laughs> I, I want people to be able to say, that person loved the Lord and lived a life exemplary of Jesus Christ. He prayed for me. He led me to the Lord. That's what I like to hear. I, won't, I guess I, I don't know if I'll hear it or not. Who knows? That's another question. But the reality is, that's your legacy. And when you do that, <laughs> Matthew says, Matthew 25, 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. That's what I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Your life here is but a mist, James says. You're here and you're gone. But whatever you've done for Jesus Christ will last. Whatever you did for yourself will not. So if you've served the Lord, that's even a greater reason why we rejoice. In Revelation 21.4, it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain. I don't even know what that's like anymore. Because I wake up, I'm in pain. For the former things have passed away. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. That's kind of reason I think that either people have a, 
a great knowledge of, of life on earth or they don't see what's going on down here because it would seem like it would be a little sorrowful. But if one is a believer, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward which is in heaven. And if he's rejoicing, I'm rejoicing. Scripture says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I'm not trying to to take away the fact that there is a sense of sorrow and loss when you lose somebody, especially when they're as close as somebody that's a father, son, or brother, sister, or whatever. There is a loss. And you suffer that. But what should keep you going is the fact that it's hard on us. But praise the Lord for where he is, for where she is. They, if they could speak now, I think they'd say, don't weep, don't be sorrowful. You know, you're going to see me again. And when you see me next time, it's going to be for a really long time. <laughs> you know, forever and ever. So, don't spend a lot of time weeping for me because we will be back together. As David said, he said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I'm looking forward to going where we be reunited. And until that day, we need to keep on keeping on. And right now, I, I'm hoping that you will begin praying that God will send revival among young people in our area. With this uh, movie about Chuck Smith and the Jesus People Movement, where they were going to the beach and hundreds, literally hundreds, were baptized in the ocean. And by the way, it's not always warm in the Pacific Ocean. I can tell you. (laughs) But people got baptized. You know why they did it at the ocean? Because it was a public testimony. It was a public testimony. They were saying, I belong to Jesus. And I'm getting baptized in the name of Jesus. And they'd come out and they'd just have joy and people would be celebrating. Meanwhile, they're they're singing on the, the beach And there'd be hundreds, sometimes thousands. Can you imagine going to the beach and hearing people singing? Thy loving kindness is better than life. And people praising God, just shouting, Yeah! I've been set free! Because a lot of these people had a meaningless life. Caught in the drugs and the different things that didn't bring satisfaction. And then all of a sudden... Jesus came in their life and they were changed. I played for the Bible study on Monday night. How are we doing? Okay. Some clips from the different YouTubes on this revival. And I was saying, now watch this, because this is this is kind of fun. Because these weren't well-planned testimonies. They're there are people that are very raw. 
I mean, they freshly just came to Jesus. And, and the one guy says, <clears throat> we drove six hours to be here uh, because we wanted to see a revival. I don't know what a revival is, he said. I had no idea. I just heard about it. So we came to find out. We got here about 7.30, 8.30 in the morning, and there was nobody here. I turned to my friends and said, is this, this is revival? Nobody here? And he said, then they went into the auditorium and people started coming more and more and more as they're, as they're worshiping. And he says, they put you in a room and you, and you prayed for the Lord to come and meet you. So I didn't know what that was. But then it happened. <laughs> he said, I want to tell you. And just like that, right? he's just almost screaming. I want to tell you what happened. It was fantastic. Yeah. You wonder why people don't want to come to the Lord when people witness this way. You wouldn't want to come to Jesus, would you? If you do, you get to go to our church and listen to a guy talk for 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> and you, you get to read your Bible and say, do you want to become a Christian? That doesn't have a whole lot of power. But when somebody says, you won't believe what happened to me. My life has changed. I have joy where I used to have sadness. I can't, I don't know how to describe it to you. You just got to find Jesus. It's, it's fantastic. I just love the Lord. And that's all real. It's not put on. It's just the way it is. You see, you know what? I saw cigarette butts in the parking lot. And I said, praise God. I said, what do you mean praise God? I said, people are coming to Jesus. Well, Jesus, Jesus said, I didn't come for the ones who think that are old. Well, I came for the ones who are lost, those who are seeking me. So they don't always fit the churchianity. I think churchianity is probably one of the deadliest things there is. But the real thing, Jesus Christ, alive and in you, where you have a relationship with him and you sense and you understand who he is, that's real. I'm not talking about religiosity. I'm not talking about patterns or things that you do over and over again. I'm talking about a real relationship with Jesus where your heart is warmed and moved. The two men on the road to Emmaus, when they got done, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked along the way. There was something going on inside. If you're not feeling the warmth inside, you got a problem. You know what Jesus said? I'd rather have you be hot or cold, but if lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Either get hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. And unfortunately, the church has become a lot lukewarm, used to certain things and patterns, and they just fall into them. But Jesus is wanting, the Holy Spirit is moving. He wants to revive. You know what revival stands for? It stands for when a dead body or somebody just had a heart attack and they're giving resuscitation. They're trying to bring it back to life. That's what the church needs. They need to be back alive again. Need to be buzzing with the love of Jesus. Need to see the smiles again. It's time for church. Okay.
When David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was excited when I got to go to church. These people are waiting to get out of class so they can get back into that sense of God's moving in their hearts and hearing the testimonies and seeing lives change and worshiping the Lord. By the way, worship today was good, wasn't it? Very, very good. Better than the sermon. No, it really was. It was good. But I like to see that. I like to see fervency. Let's wake up. Let's be ready. And let's pray. Now, the last thing I wanted to say. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to say is this. If the revival hits us, which I pray it does, you don't know who's coming through the door. Now, during the Jesus People movement, it was hippies. And by the way, I don't know, I haven't seen the film yet, but Chuck Smith really didn't like hippies. Thought they were dirty and he wished they'd wash, you know. But his wife had a real heart for them. And then when, God often does this, when we have a prejudice, he'll erase it. He met Lonnie Frisbee, who was this young guy who loved the Lord and witnessed anybody he saw coming. And there was a revival that, that was taking place and there, were, and there were people getting saved left and right. That changed his heart. Chuck Smith was older and a different generation. These people were not. And I can remember standing outside my church and the ushers were talking. And they said, what are we going to do if those barefooted hippies come and sit down right in the front of the church? They'll disturb the whole service. What are we going to do? And I'm thinking, if you've got hippies coming in front of the church, praise God. Yeah. Don't figure out how do I get rid of them. So whoever comes, don't prejudge. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter if a homeless person walks in here. Just give them the love of Christ. If they don't fit your definition of what's normal, don't let it bother you. Just love them into the kingdom.